welcome once again to EWTN's Bookmark. I'm Doug Keck, your host. Our guest author, John J. Bursch, author of Loving God's Children, The Church and Gender Ideology, published by our friends at Sophia Institute Press, and of course available through the EWTN Religious Catalog, EWTNRC.com for all things Catholic. Welcome, John, to EWTN's Bookmark. People will remember a few months back you were on with Father Mitch uh, talking about this particular book. And uh, though you look like you just got out of college, you actually are a well-seasoned attorney, are you not? Yes, uh, I, I graduated from law school in 1997, so I've been doing this for 26 years now. Uh, five beautiful children, wonderful wife, and uh, a grandchild just born in September. Mm. You've got a bottle. Whatever, whatever you're taking, you got a bottle. Maybe it's the tie. It's the tie. It's got to be the tie. New. So loving God's children, a church and gender ideology. Uh, of course we love God's children. Why do we have to have a book about it? Well, this, this whole gender ideology movement has really taken on a life of its own. And you know, as a, a lawyer and a Catholic, this isn't something that I ever set out to write about. Uh, but in the work that I do, which is primarily religious liberty, free speech, and pro-life work, uh, I found that the gender ideology issue was rearing its head and taking up an increasingly large part of the religious liberty free speech docket. So it, it started with boys identifying as girls in the showers and the locker rooms. Mm -hmm. And then it was athletes. And we represent the four girls in Connecticut who lost oh, right. 15 state championships right. to two boys. Two guys, right. Right, right. exactly, yeah. identifying right. as girls. Um, and then it was compelled pronouns in the workplace, where you had to use someone's preferred pronouns even if you thought that was a lie or you could lose your job. And then it, it got even more serious because states started taking kids away from parents who wouldn't affirm transgender identities. Um, they're teaching this in schools as young as kindergarten, first grade, asking them to identify what their gender is and then encouraging them right. to transition without telling their parents, keeping that secret. Right. Uh, and then even just the, the biggest thing most recently in the last couple months, um, some states are prohibiting people from becoming adoptive or foster parents. Right, just happened in Massachusetts. I it think. did. Right. Yeah, and, yeah, we, and we've right. got a case in Oregon as well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, as all this was becoming, you know, close to 95% of my religious liberty free speech workload, mm -hmm. I needed to understand the science, I needed to understand yeah. the church's teachings, and so I dug into it, and the next thing we knew, there was a book. There was a book there. Now, were you surprised this became such an issue, and are you surprised at how many people don't believe it's really an issue? Um, yes, on both counts. Okay. Um, the, folks who are pushing gender ideology had a very well-orchestrated campaign. Um, you remember 2015 was the year the Supreme Court decided Obergefell, the same-sex marriage case, and immediately after that opinion came out, which we pretty much all knew was going to recognize a right to same-sex marriage that didn't appear anywhere in the Constitution, uh, right after that they had Bruce Jenner now identifying as Caitlyn Jenner on the cover of magazines and on all the talk shows. Um, I Am Jazz was Winning the, ESPY awards. Exactly, and, everything. Right. Um, I am Jazz, the, the boy who transitioned to a girl and had a cable TV show and books that are in all the schools well, I now. I think there's some recent stuff that that didn't work out quite no, as well. As, no, uh, once, you don't hear about that now, right? No, you don't. Right. Once that, that young man got to teenage years and went through the surgery, terrible things happened as a result and basically had to withdraw from public life for over a year because of some of the medical issues. Right. So, so I wasn't surprised about how quickly all that, that came because it was orchestrated. Mm -hmm. It was a plan. Um, but it, it surprises me that people aren't more aware um, because the curriculum in the schools and the bathrooms and the sports teams, that's been happening for years. And it wasn't really until this past summer with the, the Bud Light protests and then the Target uh, swimsuit issue and um, some of these prominent issues involving mm -hmm. the schools where they were transitioning kids but keeping it a secret right. from parents, where people started to wake up and take notice. And, and so we're like five right. years behind the curve and we need to be talking about this. Well, do you think there was any impact as well from the COVID period of time where, where parents 
became a little more aware because of the Zoom schooling and things of what was actually going on in classrooms and starting to see these things that they really couldn't believe would be being talked about really were happening. Yeah, I think COVID was both a, a help and a hindrance for this. Mm -hmm. it, it was helpful that parents were tuning into school for the very first time, and they were shocked at some of the messages that they were hearing even from elementary school teachers coming into their homes. Um, but conversely, I think COVID was also a time when parents probably loosened the reins a little bit on social media use. Mm, true, and and true. there are hundreds of thousands of hours, billions of hits on transgender material, on TikTok, on Instagram, on Facebook, on all the social media platforms. And so while they were catching it on the school end, I think they were letting it in the back door unintentionally. Right, and you talk elsewhere in the book about the idea of how media plays its part in social norming these things, as yes. it did with gay marriage and, and gay relationships, and the same thing you see these things showing up, whether in Blue's Clues or some other program, right? right. Yeah, Blue's Clues, I mean, maybe people don't realize this, a show for three, four, five-year-olds. Right. And last year, if you were stepping away to put a load of laundry in or taking a short nap and your three-year-old was in front of the TV, they saw a pride parade during June with 10 pride floats, and one of them included a family of beavers. And the little beaver had Band-Aids on her chest where she had had her breasts removed. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. So, uh, you know, one of the things you hear in the world we're living today, you say you either agree that sex is defined only by subjective feelings and gross stereotypes types about what it means to look and act like a man or a woman or you're someone who encourages hatred bigotry and, and violence which is I'm assuming you are the the latter part there and then the question many people have if those types of choices don't harm anyone shouldn't people be able to believe and live whatever they want I mean does the Catholic Church have to impose its will on everybody yeah and and the answer here is yes because we're protecting kids now, you know, first we'll, we'll start with the secondary effects, and we've been talking about some of those, that mm -hmm. when the gender ideology movement progresses, it results in harms to women in locker rooms and showers and sports teams and things like that. Uh, right now, the, the woman uh, who is the highest winner ever on Jeopardy is actually a man. Mm -hmm. um, so, so women lose those opportunities. And then you have the conflicts between parents and their kids that these schools are introducing. Um, but what people don't realize is how much this harms the kids who have gender dysphoria and then are being affirmed mm -hmm. in that identity which is different than their sex. Uh, because it's pushing them down a road towards puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and ultimately surgery that we have long-term studies on, very good studies from Europe that tell us those are disastrous mm -hmm. choices. Well, it's interesting you, you say as you kind of roll out in the beginning why it matters. First in modern society, gender ideology is pervasive and we can see that now. But this is an interesting point. Second, gender ideology, in, ironically, enforces rigid stereotypes of what it means to be a male or a female. How so? Well, that, that's what's so sad for our kids, because it wasn't that long ago that if a girl wanted to play sports and she wanted to climb trees and roughhouse, then she was just a girl who wanted to do those types or of activities. What we call a tomboy. We would sometimes day. call them that. But, but we embraced her as a girl right. and said that girls can do anything, and right. that was a good thing. Right. And today, that same girl will be told, because those are stereotypically boy activities, if those are the kinds of things that you like, then you must be a boy. So here are the puberty blockers, here are the cross-sex hormones, start dressing as, bo as a boy, go to the boys' restroom, compete on the boys' sports teams. Um, we're, we're pushing them down this road. And for a, a kid who's six years old, eight years old, even 14 years old, they have no idea what it feels like to be the opposite sex. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is all just cultural stereotypes about what it means to be a boy or a girl. And if you fit in that box, now you have to transition. Um, so we're, we're doing a terrible disservice to the kids, and, and particularly mm -hmm. to girls, because we're not sending them the message anymore that girls can do whatever they want. Now girls can only right. do girl-like things, or otherwise they have to be boys. You, have you been surprised, you 
you you had talked about the the four girls uh, in Connecticut and, and the idea that so much of this stuff has really turned into men taking positions from women that that the women have not until at least recently seemed to have been awakened at, at this being a problem? Is it because it kind of was part of the overall feminist kind of liberal mantra, it was all connected, so it was hard for them to see it as a problem or afraid to speak up about it? I, I think that was exactly it, that the feminists were closely aligned with the progressive LGBT movement, mm -hmm. um, especially the, the lesbian portion of the LGBT movement, and so they felt they had natural partners there that they didn't want to walk away from and criticize. But what they started to see was that this was erasing women, erasing their titles, erasing their championships, erasing their opportunities. Right, absolutely. You, know, you have um, scholarships and, and other programs, fellowships that are dedicated to women, and now some men who identify as women are taking those spots. Right. Um, and so they're, they're partners immediately turned on them. Um, Martina Navratilova. Yeah, you quote that. Yeah. And J.K. I mean, Rowling, is, you also yes, talk about it. Yes, drummed out of the feminist society because they had the gall to say that there was something wrong with boys taking all these opportunities away from girls. And, and there's even an acronym. It's um, TERFS. TERFS. T-E-R-F-S. Those are trans-exclusionary radical feminists. Right. And that's the swear word that the rest of the movement uses to refer to feminists who have come out and spoken out against this issue. Right, absolutely. Now, and again, it, the idea of gender ideology doesn't hurt anybody except it does, it does depart from God's plan. You say it restricts free speech and threatens religious liberty. It breaks families apart, causing deep rifts between parents and children, spouses, other members of immediate and extended families. Why does it do that? I mean, w what about it brings about all of that negative impact? Well, because there's a, a dictatorial relativism about this. You know, relativism being you can believe what you believe, I can believe what I believe, but at some point then someone brings the hammer down and says, no, you have to believe this or otherwise you get drummed out of society. So take the free speech issue, for example. College professor, um, this is somebody that I, I represented um, in the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals, and he was told that he had to use the preferred pronouns of a trans student in his class or otherwise he would be punished and could be fired. And he said, you know, I'm, I'm a, a philosopher. I understand the difference between male and female. I think that's a lie, and I don't want to lie to my students. And they said, well, that's too bad. You've got to go along with this agenda. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a free speech problem. Right. Um, you, you see the same thing with churches, um, where they're now being um, at least potentially persecuted by public accommodation laws uh, that tell them that they have to hire people without regard to sexual orientation or gender identity. And right. that even if they, they speak at um, you know, events where other people are, are present, that that could be a violation of the law. You know, in Michigan, for example, we represent a Catholic school. Mm -hmm. And simply putting some of the church's beautiful teachings about right. gender ideology on their website would be in technical violation of Michigan's new laws. And so, you know, immediately you have free speech and religious liberty conflicts. Right. Then with the families, you know, where the wedge is being drawn is really at the schools, where you right. have teachers so the and the parents are being cut out. They are. And, and often that's in the form of a policy that specifically says, use the preferred pronouns with the student at school, use the sex based pronouns with the parents so they don't know what's going on. And in one of our cases, uh, that even involved parents who knew that they had a, a child who was suffering from gender dysphoria, told school officials, we do not want her to transition, don't do that, and they did it anyway behind their back. Oh my lord, And, right. and so that's how this is creeping into families and causing I they used to have a parent-teachers association or whatever it was at one time. I yeah. Guess that's uh, fifth, gender ideology matters because the whole foundation of faith in humanity is at stake. I mean, I know it's a problem, but is it 
that much of a problem? It really is. And we, we get this beautifully from Pope Francis and also from Pope John Paul II's right. Theology of the Body, where they talk about our bodies being gifts from God. And we are not souls trapped in a body that we can just manipulate any way we want. Um, we are embodied souls, and so our body says something about who we are. Our maleness and our femaleness says something about who we are. And so when we reject that body, we are rejecting God's gift. Mm -hmm. And we are also rejecting any ability to have meaningful relationships with other people. And mm -hmm. so when the church calls us to the two great loves, love God and love your neighbor, mm -hmm. you can't love God well if you're rejecting the gift of your right. body and who you are. And you can't love your neighbor well if you can't be authentically who you are, your, your, your maleness or your femaleness, mm -hmm. in those relationships that you have. And so it, it's the destruction of society and destruction of the church, and that's not a, an over-exaggeration. Now you talk about the Catholic response. It's love. Of course it's always love, but you know, isn't it love to, you know, you don't want to hurt people's feelings, you want to make sure that everybody's comfortable and nobody feels offended. Is that the kind of love you're talking about, the kind of yeah. response you're responding? That, that is not the church's definition okay. of love. Uh, okay. Culture through movies and television shows and books teaches us that love is a soupy sentimental feeling and I get warm fuzzies when this person is around me and does nice things for me. and. Uh, if I'm in a marriage and I, I'm getting a lot out of it and I feel good, then I stick with it. But if I lose those feelings, then I can walk away. You know, the, the church says right. that's not love. Love, catechism of the church says, is to will the best of the other person. Right. And willing the best of the other person isn't feeling-based. It's not giving into what someone else wants. It may not even be what makes them happy. If right. I had a, a child, every parent knows this, and they wanted to touch a hot stove, right really want to, Mom, I really want to touch the stove, I would feel so good about that, you wouldn't do it because you understand an objective truth that the right. child doesn't, it's going to burn them, it's going to hurt them, and because you love them, you will the best for them, right. you wouldn't let them choose something that would hurt them. Right. And so that's the kind of love that the church calls us to respond with, and that's an important distinction. Well, I think it's, and Mother Angelica used to refer to it as false compassion. Yes. And, and, and somewhere we seem to be living in a world of enveloped empathy where you know everybody has to feel along with everybody's you know and nobody wants anybody like I said to feel bad you said the church's teachings also raise many reasonable questions how can allowing someone to act in accord with their self-understanding or preference cause harm to themselves and to others you say that everything in the universe proclaims some truth about the maker. Yes, and that's certainly true about the body. And, mm -hmm. and Pope John Paul II was so good about this with the theology of the body. And, and hopefully everybody watching this is familiar with that. If not, they, they should. And so just kind of in brief, right. you know, it's because he made us distinctly male and female that we can come together in a sacramental marriage and be gifts to each other in the same way that God made us as a gift. And when they do that, um, husband and wife, the gift, when they give everything, even their right. reproductive capacity, that love is so strong it creates a third person that Absolutely. needs its own name, a son or a daughter. And that is an icon right. for the Trinity, where the love between God the Father and God the Son precedes the God the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so we've got the, the whole picture of God's being built into the nature of human sexuality in our bodies. It, right. It's just an absolutely beautiful message. Uh, absolutely, and that's why it has to be attacked and destroyed and distorted in, in, in the culture. In today's culture, many people believe that freedom means being able to choose to do whatever they want, free from constraint or co coercion. In the end, such freedom makes us slaves to our own selfishness, leads to loneliness, and makes us unhappy. 
it is that way, but people don't think it's that way. No, the, the people who dislike the church's teachings look at them as a bunch of no's. They're mm -hmm. rules that constrict their freedom. Mm -hmm. and, and when I talk to young people about that particular issue, the issue of freedom, um, I, I bring up two analogies. And the first is the, the car that you drive. And we all get a manual in the glove compartment or on our phone, and it tells us everything the maker needs us to do to maintain that car so that it operates the way the creator right. wants it, so that it, it's at, at its best and highest capacity. And the rules that we get from God through the church work the same way. They're the, the manual for how to live well as a Catholic, uh, as a Christian. Mm -hmm. And if you do that, then things will go well for you. Right. But just like with the car, if you don't follow it, then right. things start to break down and all of a sudden it won't work the way right. the maker intended it, not at its fullest and best use. Right. The other analogy has to do with rules and sports. Uh, again, we think about freedom in our modern culture as being able to do whatever I want. Well, if that was the rule in basketball, then someone like LeBron James would never be recognized as one of the greatest basketball players of all time because someone bigger than him would just tackle him, mm -hmm. or they'd take the ball out of bounds and come back in again and all kinds of well, nonsense. Well, they just stand in front of the net. Right. What gives him the freedom <laughs> to be the best basketball right. player right. is those rules that right. says there's a three-second rule, that there's a double-dribble rule, and that's how we know that he's good because he has freedom within the rules to be the best that he can be and it works the same way in life. Um, that there is no freedom unless we're following God's will because then we're slaves to our natural instinct to sin. And do you sense, especially in young people, they're really craving for guidelines. That's what they're looking for. Many times people are trying to say, well, what are the rules? Because, you know, well, it doesn't really matter. It's to see how you feel the rules. That leaves these people adrift. Every child wants rules. Right. And the reason that they make life so hard on parents, and I know this from personal experience, uh, is that they're, they're pushing those boundaries to make sure that you are going to set rules. Because when you do that, then they've got a guide for living, and they know that because you've got your be their best interests at heart as a parent, because you love them, you want to mm -hmm. will what's best for them, that you'll only create rules that will be for their mm -hmm. flourishing. You know, and at different times in their life, they'll maybe chafe at some of those things, oh, especially absolutely. when they're teenagers. Right. Um, but, but everyone craves that structure. They, they crave the rules. And and then when they become adults, they understand the purpose behind those rules, and then they'll thank you for being such a good right. parent. In the section on truth, you say, what is the difference between truth and moral relativism? Disturbingly, there are fewer and fewer people in America who believe there is objective truth. Yeah, that's a huge problem. Where did we lose that? Well, it, it came out of trying to be nice. Mm -hmm. um, moral relativism started to grow in the 1980s and then really took off to the point today where young people, we're talking all the way through college now, more than 90% of them will identify as moral relativists. What's true for me is true for me. What's true for you is true for you. And people like moral relativism because it avoids conflict. Mm -hmm. I don't have to engage in a debate with you where I say you're wrong because that might hurt your feelings. And so then important issues like abortion and same-sex marriage and gender ideology and and whether God exists and what's my right, purpose here right, on earth right. all become matters of opinion. And so it's easy to be a moral relativist, but the, the church rejects that because we know that there is an objective truth. It's one that we can discern through the reasoning and the common sense that God gave us. And that when we use that truth for good, then good things happen. And when we try to interact with someone in a way where we want to be compassionate, but we don't give them the truth, terrible things happen. And, and one of the things I talk about in the book mm -hmm. uh, would be someone who is an alcoholic. And you know they may feel most like themselves when they're intoxicated mm -hmm. and they want to drink more. But no loving person would encourage them to drink more because ultimately that's going to result in liver disease and all kinds of other problems for the individual. Or they make up behind right. the wheel of the car and, and cause an accident that'll hurt themselves or other people. Um, so the, the way to love is to be truthful. We, right. we can't ignore that. Um, love has both a, a charity component 
component. That's the empathy, the companionship, the walking alongside. But it also has a truth component. And without the truth, um, love, as we think about it, isn't loving at all. Right, exactly. And, and you talk about in chapter two the dangers for those who reject their sex. Consider that it is standard medical and psychological practice to encourage it. I thought this was great. Child with persistent mistaken belief that is inconsistent with reality, such as anorexia, to align their belief with reality, not the other way around. Until we recently, this is all how doctors and psychiatrists treated gender dysphoric children. You know that whole idea of you, you eliminate every other issue before you deal with the, and it's kind of like an exorcism. They check everything else out before they decide to do an exorcism. It's not the first thing you jump in to do, but now we are doing that. It's the first thing is, oh, you need puberty blockers and uh, you must be gender dysphoric and you need surgery. Right, and, and there are so many things wrong with that. Um, first, 80 to 95 percent of the kids who experience some gender dysphoria as they're growing up will naturally align their mind with their bodies if they're just left on their own but nearly 100% mm -hmm. of them will experience continuous gender dysphoria if they are affirmed with the pronouns and the, the dress and the bathrooms and, and all those sorts of things. So you're sending them down this road where they will inevitably end up on the cross-sex hormones and the puberty blockers, right. which you know, we, we can talk about cause all kinds of misery. Um, right. So it, it makes a tremendous difference when you're at that crossroads, right. uh, which fork that you take. And, and some people will say, well, you know, really, John, on the, the pronouns, can't we just give in to someone, you know, this is how they self-identify, isn't the loving thing to do to recognize that? But, but no, I mean, that's like the, the gateway drug. Um, <laughs> as soon as you start affirming the pronouns, what you're sending them down that road. It also never ends, There's, you know, because it's not, it's never the, just this, it's then, well, it's Z and Zoe and Zoe, and it's, you know, I mean, it just gets into this ridiculous world where, uh, no one knows what they're talking about. No, and there's no truth in any of that. Right, and, right. And, and then again, you're losing the ability to have the authentic relationships And then people don't know what you're talking about. Like, we use some pronoun, I don't even know what that means. Right. And so we lose the ability to communicate even. You say the more gender ideology, identity ideology is promoted to children, the more children can be expected to become confused about sexuality, to suffer from drastic unnecessary medical courses that they would not have otherwise chosen. Confusing children is not loving. No. Great point. No, we, we don't lie to our kids about things because that's the kind of thing that will cause them long-term harm. We have to tell them the truth. And, and they are looking for that. That's what they're looking for. They're looking for you to say, uh, okay, so what do you think about this? Mm -hmm. As opposed to infirming. You, you talk about a whole section about detransitioners, which there's a lot of that going on. I, Father Spitzer and I have talked many times that, that this is only going to end when all the Lewis lawsuits start hitting all over right. the place. And, and the insurance companies don't want to support the pharmaceutical companies anymore or whatever. Detransitioners are not the only group of people being silenced for their objection. Gender identity, female athletes, teachers, all of those people across the board. But there seems to be a groundswell rising against it, right? Well, starting to. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of saw this last summer with the, the Bud Light protests and mm -hmm. the Target protests and some of the school protests um, as the beginning of a tipping point. Um, and, and those are really positive developments because now people are waking up to this and hopefully reading materials like this book and learning about the science, learning about the church's teachings, learning where culture is pressing so that they can have those conversations with their kids and others. Um, but the activists on the other side mm -hmm. are so far ahead of us on this that a couple of protests in one summer is not gonna turn the right. tide. You know, the, the problem is that in California, there's a curriculum in every elementary school where they ask the kindergartners, first graders, second graders to say what their identity is, their, their gender identity. And then they encourage them to pursue that contrary to their sex. Right. Um, you know, so we, we have only scratched the surface right, of the right. work that we need to do well, as loving they, Catholics. Do you think many times they just rely on us to lose interest 
Um, I, I think what they hope is that we will be cowed by their intimidation. Okay. Um, that if you cancel enough people on social media, if you fire them from their jobs, if you exclude them from the public square, that eventually people will stay quiet. And that, that's kind of how it worked with the marriage debate. Um, to the point where uh, at the, the U.S. Supreme Court, after the Obergefell argument was over, if you had been there and looked at the steps of the courthouse, um, there were all these, these protesters on the same-sex marriage side, mm -hmm. love is love and you know all, all their mantras and things like that. But the only people standing up on the side of God's plan for mm -hmm. marriage were those who were saying that all gay people go to hell. Right. There was no love there at all. Um, and, and so the, you know, as, a, as a church, as people who understood God's plan for marriage, we withdrew from that debate. And we can't do that with respect to gender ideology. I mean, I hope someday the pendulum will swing back on right. marriage because we could do a whole show right. on that too. But, but now we're talking about kids and we're right. talking about irreparable harm that's gonna come to them. You know, on the, the point about the transition, the best long-term study that we have uh, comes from Sweden. And, and when you hear studies about how people transition and everything goes great for them, um, th those are small sample sizes. They're self-selected participants, so you don't get the ones who had things go wrong, um, and they're over short durations. Right. So this long-term study, lots of people, control groups in countries that were you know, welcoming towards people with trans identities. So you can't say that they were being bullied and things right, like that. Right. And their suicide rates went up after having that surgery over the long haul. Their incidence of uh, mental health issues uh, went up. And uh, as Father Mitch was saying on our, our talk a few months ago, right. um, half of the life expectancy, uh, which is what you would expect to happen when you pump someone all through with drugs that right. aren't meant for their body and then uh, mutilate their body in ways that aren't necessary. Right, and, and, and they who were on the forefront have all backed off. Yes. And, but the United States hasn't backed off. No, that, that's critical and point. What people don't understand also is the abortion laws in the United States are much more lax than they are in Europe. Yes. And in these other countries. Yeah, as we were going into the Dobbs argument, uh, the United States was one of only seven countries in the world, including China and North Korea, you know, that, that allowed abortion through you nine months You hear that about pregnancy. the death penalty all the time. You don't hear it about abortion. Never hear it about abortion. abortion. Right. And, and so on this issue, you know, the American Medical Association, right. the pediatrics doctors and things, you know, they're all gung-ho on this. And yet in the countries where they've had it the longest, yeah. studied it the longest, UK, Finland, right. Sweden, every single one of them is saying, whoa, yeah, we, we made that. a mistake. Right. There is no scientific evidence that shows that this is beneficial. And in many of these cases, right. it is you know, fatally right. harmful. Now, you dedicated this book to your wife, Angela. You say both she and our children are the best examples of what it means to be courageous and to love. How, how is their love courageous? Well, they're willing to speak about these issues. And I, I think back to when I was my kid's age, when I was in high school, college, and you know, recent college graduate, and, and I never would have been as emboldened as they are to talk about, um, about faith, about the importance of Jesus Christ, about being faithful mm -hmm. to the teachings of the Catholic Church, and about the abortion, mm -hmm. marriage, and gender ideology issues. Uh, they're willing okay. to confront it with their friends on the school buses, uh, yeah, on college campuses. Um, and, and my wife, just an incredible evangelist and connector okay. within her, her community. Well, that's so great to hear. They're amazing. So there's hope. Okay. There is hope. Thank you so much, John J. Bursch. Loving God's Children, the Church and Gender Ideology. A very interesting read. Check it out through our EWTN Religious Catalog. EWTNRC.com, all things Catholic. I'm Doug Keck. Thanks for joining us on Bookmark. We'll see you next time.